We allow ourselves to get deceived by some things. And we actually think we're doing something. And quite often, the very thing that we think we're doing is putting us in a deeper hole, causing greater anxiety, bringing on depression and loneliness and despair because we fail to cease from our own works and recognize we are nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing without God. But in Him, we live. In Him, we move. In Him, we have our being. In Him, we can do all things. In Him, there is peace. In Him, there's joy. In Him, there's victory. In Him, there's love. In Him, there's wholeness. In Him, there's soundness. In Him, there's deliverance. In Him, there's eternity. Oh, I thank God for Him. Because I'm nothing, absolutely nothing without Him. I want to thank the dance ministry. They sealed the deal. praise team, like always, they set the table. Minister Vinny. We could have said amen and passed the offering bucket with what he ministered to us. It was rich. It was real. It was on time and necessary. And I hope all of you heard that and received that for yourselves. And now we have ministered to Holy Spirit. And now he wants to minister to you. So as you take your seats, love on somebody. Tell them it's good to see them. Give them a hug. Tell them your name. Something. Love you, my sister. I do that for a reason. I make it a habit as I live my life. I literally look into the faces of people when I talk to them. If I ask you how you're doing, I really want to know. It's funny how many times people have asked me how I'm doing. And just for fun, I say something contrary. And they go, that's good. And I go, oh, they really weren't listening, were they? Uh, People are hurting. And people are dying all around us. And so we have to be more intentional and purposeful about our encounters with one another. You know, sometimes we sit next to the same people in church or in front of, behind of each other and hadn't said two words to them. What? Why? We say we're Christians and we love the Lord. So let's learn to talk to each other and get to know each other just a little bit. I I said this recently. I don't know where. I've been talking a lot lately. But I said this recently. Don't laugh. I talk a lot anyway, right? Um, That when we get to heaven, we anticipate being together and getting along and loving each other. What, do we think in the twinkling of an eye, our personalities are going to change and all of a sudden we're going to like talking to each other? This is where we're supposed to practice that. Right here. Learn to love on each other. It won't cost you a thing. Amen? I don't know where that came from, but we're just going to go with that, right? All right. Well, we have prayed, and the table has been set. Um, So today's message, just so you'll know, The title is called Battle Over Busyness. Battle Over Busyness. How many of us need this message today? Glory to God. You know, as humans, we are all in a battle of some sort every day. There is a spiritual warfare that is going on. Whether or not you know it or participate in it, it is happening. 
There is a battle being waged every day for the souls of unbelievers. I think we can all agree with that, yes? But there's also a battle being waged every day for the victory of believers. There are too many of us living beneath our privilege. Too many of us who don't feel victorious. Too many of us who are not walking in peace or joy. Too many of us who don't know our destiny, don't know our calling, and don't know our purpose. And I know like I know like I know that is not the will of God. And I know even further, the reason we don't know is because of a spiritual battle that gets waged every day. Now, we know there's a spiritual battle in the heavenlies. Our angels are fighting, and they are moved by the words that we speak. We recognize that our our big brother Jesus is constantly making intercession for us. He can be touched by everything that we have felt and dealt with, and he cares about us. We also recognize that there's a battle that goes on in our own minds, the battlefield of the mind. If you haven't read that book, pick it up. It's really good. But there's also a battle that we deal with on a daily basis, and it's called the battle of busyness. And so I want to read something to you. One of my coworkers sent this, and I had seen it before in another version, and this is kind of the updated, souped-up version. So if you've heard it before, that's good. Hear it again. Here we go. So how Satan keeps Christians from Christ. Anybody interested? Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said, we can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading the Bible and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from conservative values, but we can do something else. We can keep them from forming an intimate, abiding experience in Christ. If they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church. Let them have their conservative lifestyles, but steal their time so they can't gain that experience in Jesus Christ. Here's how I want you to do it. I want you to distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. But how shall we do this? shouted one of the angels. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent numerous schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 and tempt them to borrow, borrow, borrow. Convince the wives to go to work and the husbands to work six to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so they can afford their desired lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their families fragment, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so they cannot hear that small, still voice. Entice them to play the radio or cassette player whenever they drive, to keep the TV, the DVD, live streaming, their CDs going constantly in their homes. And see to it that every store and restaurant in the world plays music constantly. This will jam their minds and break that union with Christ. Fill their coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day and invade their driving moments with billboards. Flood their mailboxes with junk mail, sweepstakes, mail order catalogs, and every kind of newsletter and promotional offering, free products, services, and false hopes. Let social media, got your attention, become the gold standard for communicating with one another. 
making it an avenue for gossip, shocking news, e-commerce, and a way to stay connected. Be sure to keep Jesus in there, though. That will help justify their obsession with social media. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from it exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the upcoming week. Don't let them go outside and be in nature. Mm -mm. Send them to the amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, and movies instead. And even when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave with troubled consciousness and unsettled emotions. Let them be involved in soul winning. That's a good thing. But crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family unity for the good of the cause. Well, in the end, it was quite a convention. The evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing the Christians everywhere to get busy, 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 and rush, rush, rush here and there. Question, in your life, in your community, in your world, has the devil been successful in his scheme? Selah, pause, and think about it. The culture that we live in is busyness. And when we stop being busy, we actually feel guilty for not being busy enough. Anybody besides me ever feel that way? Do I even have a right to sit down for a minute? Is that crazy or what? I mean, even God rested from his works. Y'all remember that, right? Sabbath day, holy, sit down, do nothing. But particularly women. We go, we go, we go, we go. If we're wives, it's our husband. If it's our, we have mothers, it's about our children. If we have jobs, we want to be excellent in our jobs because we definitely don't want to go to work and have anybody think as women that we are what? Inferior. And so we stay busy, busy, busy. Go with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. I will primarily be coming from the New King James Version. I got delivered from the vows and the wows, and I can't go back to King James. <laughs> but I laugh because if I'm quoting it from the heart, it's usually King James. So see, I'm such a hypocrite. <laughs> Are we there? Everybody there? Okay. Now, it happened as they went that he, referring to Jesus and his disciples, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Verse 41, and Jesus answered and said to her, and I really could hear Jesus' voice. He was probably so calm, cool, collected, filled with empathy and compassion for her because that's the kind of God we serve, right? He looked at her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, everybody say one thing. 
one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. It's clear the one thing that Jesus was referring to was the Word. And he is the living Word, correct? And so be it the written Word or the living Word, the Spirit or the presence of God, whatever it is, we know that Mary chose that good thing. She decided to make that first in her life. Now, don't be so hard on Martha because it didn't say Martha didn't choose that. It said she was what? Distracted. Distracted means to be pulled away. Well, you can't be pulled away from something that you were never connected to. That makes sense? So obviously, Martha had taken her place at his feet too. And how many times have all of us taken our place at the feet of God and maybe our cell phones pinged? Maybe the child cried out. Maybe you remembered that you had to put a load in the washer. Maybe you remembered an assignment that was due for work and you wanted to get on that. Maybe you remembered you wanted to stop at McDonald's and get yourself a breakfast sandwich, so you needed to cut this thing short so that you can take care of that. How many of us have been distracted or pulled away from the things of God? I raise my hand because I'm going to tell you, you all think that the people up here don't go through things. We go through things just like you do. We live life, and we live in this culture, the culture called busy. And so although Martha had taken the time to start off at the feet of Jesus, she got distracted and pulled away. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. And I will be reading this out of the NASB, New American Standard Bible. It's so nice to hear pages turning. All right. I make a comment about that every time, don't I? I'm obsessed with the pages. (laughs) Verse 15 starts off, Therefore, be careful how you walk. And the word walk there means conduct yourself. Not as unwise men, but as wise. And there's only one wise one, and that's God. And so anything you do independent of him makes you unwise. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We cannot afford anymore to live our lives on autopilot. Literally daily, we are navigating landmines. The enemy's job is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Make no mistake about it. We are not of this world, but we are in this world. And because we are not of this world, the world hates us. And I'll prove that to you in a moment. And if the world's not hating you, then you've got to stop and ask yourself, what am I doing? Am I more like the culture that I live in than the citizenship that I belong to? Because if we're not living, looking, sounding like, speaking like, acting like heaven, then the world won't hate us. And Christ said, not me, that the world should hate us. So we have to be intentional and purposeful about how we live our lives because we live in a culture that was not meant for us. And it is pervasive. It is everywhere we go. It is in everything we do. It's actually in everything that we speak and in everything that we see. And it is our job to be diligent, to look at the difference between the culture that we live in in comparison from the culture that we are from so that we can decide what is the will of God. Is that not what that scripture said? What is the will of God? 
Is it God's will that I spend as many hours as I may do on my device? Is it God's will that I work as many hours as I work on a daily basis? Is it God's will that I even have the job that I have? What about all the activities that I have my children in? Even is that God's will? Because, you know, we can use our good for evil. We all have those good powers, those things that God has gifted us with. And there is an expectation that we use our gifts to advance the kingdom. If anybody disagrees with that, go ahead and raise your hand right now. Get it up, get it high, because we all agree. But then when we take inventory of ourselves, when we get true and we get honest about who we really are, the question then becomes, so how often do we use our powers for evil? And so just because we have the ability to put our children in a hundred things doesn't mean that's what we're supposed to do. Just because I have the ability and so I think I have the time to serve in so many capacities, is that really what God has called me to do? Just because I'm personable and I like talking to everybody, am I supposed to be counseling everybody? Because if I'm doing it in and of my own self, no matter how good it might look in the natural, no matter how many people might say, you go girl, I'm really causing more harm than good. And it may not always be to the person that I'm dealing with or the agency that I'm serving, but if me myself is neglected, if I'm not taking care of the gift that God gave me, how long would it last? And then how many people would I not be able to affect? because I did it my way, which makes me unwise. Wisdom is doing it God's way. Amen? Amen. Now, I said to you a moment ago, a moment ago that we are not of this world. Let's look at John chapter 17, verse 14. We are not of this world. And how often are we thinking about that as we go about our day? I am not of this world. I am not of this world. I am a citizen of heaven. We don't do that. That is not forefront on our mind. And so we get lulled into this Babylonian system. And the Babylonian system, I'm telling you, is coming to an end. It will not survive. It is being destroyed day by day. And we're putting our trust in something that is failing. It is failing. We have watched our financial systems go up and go down, and we still trust the banks. What? I'm going to just stop right there. John 4, 17, 14 says, I have given them your word. This is Jesus talking to the Father before he went to, to the cross. And he's talking about his disciples. But here's a tip. He's talking about you too. Further on in this chapter, he says, not only do I pray for those that you gave me, but I pray for those who will hear and receive my word. So what I'm about to say is about you as well. And it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. God's not taking us out of the world, folks. There's work to be done. But I pray that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your truth, your your word is truth. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus said three times, 
three times, they are not of the world. When Christ says something in multiple, you know, multiple times, pay attention. This is a shaking up. This is a reality check for us. How much do we look like the world? When we look in the mirror, is something reflecting back of you that is different from those you know who aren't saved? When you open your mouth to speak, does it resonate with the world's culture or does it resonate with the Jesus culture? When you lay your head down to sleep at night, what are the thoughts that are racing through your head? Are you figuring out a way to get even with your boss or get your boss saved? How much are we looking like the world? How much of the culture of busyness has jumped on us? Because I promise you, as we get busy, we forget about Jesus. He becomes a second bar, not the first in our lives. We've got to learn to live our lives out of our relationship with Christ. When you begin to schedule your hour, your week, your month, your year, it should begin with first your relationship with Christ. If that doesn't come first in your decision making, you are the culture. And I know that's hard to hear and that's hard to receive and it's hard to accept, but I'm learning to accept it for myself. As much as this is for somebody out here, it's all the more for me. I don't study anything that I don't need. I don't prepare messages for you guys. I study the word of God for myself. And when I look in the mirror and I see culture, when I look in the mirror and I see busyness, then I have to sit down at the feet of God like Mary did and get that word and find out what the heck is going on with Joe Vivian? What's going on with me? And what I found out is that I was just too, too busy. And when you start getting busy, you start looking like the world. Are you too busy? Do you really have time for God? Do you have time for his will in your life? Or is it your will? Who's sitting on the seat of your throne? Because if God is not leading and ordering your steps, like it or not, it's you. So, It's easy to fall into the busy trap and forget that we are not of this world. Why? Because we live the American culture that centers around man being the source of his destiny. You know, we've been told you can do anything you want and you can be anything you want if you work hard enough. Was anybody ever told that besides me? And we all fell for the okie doke. (laughs) We fell for it. It is not that you cannot accomplish anything But the thing that you will succeed in is the thing that God has called you to. That is what you can do. That is what you can be the best in. So what do we do? We look at what somebody else is doing, and we decide that's what I want to do. Because somebody told me I can do anything I want to do, and I can be good, and I cannot play basketball. What if Minister Vinny called me? Bite size. Who... Who disagreed? You see, I cannot play basketball. Somebody said, I disagree. (laughs) Wasn't that nice? (laughs) Okay, so back to my message, because I can cut up really bad sometimes. Um, 
The reality is, is that if we're thinking that way, we've placed ourselves on the throne of our lives. Our thought process should always be, I can do all things through Christ, and my steps are ordered of God. So let's talk a little bit about what culture is. What's happening that pulls us in so deeply to culture that sometimes we're unaware of it? Number one, culture rules virtually every aspect of your life. And like most people, you're completely unaware of it. You know, there is a a Christian culture. Y'all recognize that, right? We got our little language and we have our little hand gestures. Now, see, back in the day, this meant something. (laughs) Y'all know what that means. Shut up. I don't even have to tell you. It is what we do, it's what we think, and it's what we feel. It enables its members to function with one another without the need to negotiate meaning at every moment. Just like this. We don't have to negotiate the meaning of that. Everybody gets it. Culture is learned and culture is forgotten. We are unconscious of its influence on our perceptions of and interactions with the world. It both enables us and impedes us in our ability to understand and work effectively together. Culture defines the shared values, beliefs, and behaviors of a group. Now, by no means am I suggesting that you should not be culturated, that you should not be a part of culture, and neither is God. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus was with the culture. He was with the sinners and did not, I mean, went to their houses and stretched out because, you know, they laid out when they ate. They didn't sit at tables like they laid out. And he had laid out with folks and ate and had, a good, had people rubbing his feet and pulling, pouring oil down his head. He wasn't front running from that. He's, he was with tax collectors, what we would call prostitutes. Jesus was with the culture. But the culture didn't define Jesus. There is the difference. And that is all God is asking. If indeed you are in the culture, because we are in this world, you can't run from that. Just allow God to define who you are, what your vocation is, what happens with your family, what happens with your friends. Let him guide and direct the desires of your heart, because I promise you, he definitely will fulfill them. And the more time you spend with God, the more the desires of your heart line up with his will. There is no good thing that God ever wants to withhold from you. We've got to believe that to then receive that. But most of us believe that God loves the world, but he may not love me. And most of us are still working. We're still trying to work out our salvation, misunderstanding that scripture. Your salvation is sealed. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart, it's a done deal and it is settled. You don't have to work for salvation, sing for salvation, clean for salvation, pay tithes for salvation. It's a done deal. But what we're working out is our understanding of who God is in our life and what he has done and accepting his truths as truth and living that way so that we can walk victoriously in everything that he has called us to do. That's the salvation that we're working out. Amen? Amen. But not within the culture. The culture can never define what God created. It can never define that for you. And the more time we spend in the culture and not with God, the more we lose sight of who we really are. Amen? Now, there are two areas in particular that keep us busy and have greatly impacted us and our ability to walk in the fullness of what God has called us to. The first one is success, and the second one is possessions. So we define success, and this is Webster's Dictionary. 
is the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. The correct or desired result of an attempt. Success defined is defined as being the master of your own destiny. Is that culture or what? Definitely not Christ. So success tempts us to find our worth outside of God's unconditional, inexhaustible, free love that he gave to each and every one of us. Success breeds a performance or works mentality. What have I accomplished in my daily life, job, church, family, school, and relationships? The pursuit of sex success has created workaholics. Any workaholics in here, admittedly? You know who you are. Thank you for being honest. It is the one area in our lives, in society. Now, this is how culture is. You can hear about all kind of aholics, alcoholics, uh, drug addicts, all kind of things. And there's something to be said negatively about that, correct? How many of you hear negative things about workaholics? People will identify that they're a workaholic and nobody goes, oh my gosh, let me lay hands on you and cast out that demon. <laughs> nobody says that, right? We're like, oh, you're a workaholic. But workaholics will check their email during family time, don't know how to take a vacation, can't sit down and eat a meal, quite often will skip a meal. Workaholics are people who work 50-plus hours a week, six to seven days a week. Workaholics have a higher divorce rate. Why? Because they neglect their family, they neglect their families, they neglect their friends, and they neglect themselves. Most of their physical ailments are attached to their workaholic problem. And we applaud them because we have fallen under the spell of culture. Amen? Success, that's what we're talking about. Success brings on worrying, racing minds, unable to sleep. Do you know that 18% of Americans suffer from anxiety? That it is the number one mental disorder in America, 40 million people can't sleep at night, have racing thoughts, are fidgeting all the time, can't control when their mind goes left and when it goes right. Worry, 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 afraid, feeling threatened, uncertain, doubting. That is not God. That is not God by any stretch of the imagination. Avoiding a Sabbath day's rest. <laughs> That's what workaholics do. That's what worriers do. That's what people do who are chasing success. Because you don't have time to sit down and rest your body and hear what God might be speaking to you. Too little time with family and too little time with God. Go to Matthew chapter, chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. Unfortunately, our culture has taught us to divine success by our accomplishments. We're accomplishment-driven. And if you're going to accomplish something, you've got to be what? Busy. Very busy. Are we there, Matthew 3, verse 16 through 17? When he, referring to Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to know that Christ did not have a track record of success when God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He had not amassed 
an earthly reputation. He wasn't known for having more healings in one week than anybody else. He wasn't known for casting out more demons in one day than anybody else. He wasn't known for anything. But God said to him, having done nothing, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So his success with God was not based on his accomplishments. What was it based on? His relationship and his willingness to submit and do the will of his father. That's all Jesus did. When you read the scriptures, particularly throughout the book of uh, of John, repeatedly Jesus will say things like, I do nothing other than what my father tells me. I only say what my father has said. That my job, my life, my desire is to do the will of the Father. Do we start our days that way? Now, Jesus is our example. That's who we should be patterning our lives after. And if he had no accomplishments whatsoever, but God found him to be successful, then how much more should we be seeking our success through Christ? How much more should we surrender our accomplishments to the will of the Father? If it was good enough for Christ, it most certainly should be good enough for us. Keeping on the the point that God or Jesus had no success at the time, first of all, he didn't even have the right job. I mean, think about the Pharisees and the, what are those other people? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you really think being a carpenter was a highfalutin job in their eyes? Of course not. Now, it was a very valuable and very needed job, and absolutely nothing wrong with that job, but we're talking about the culture. So it wasn't a highfalutin job, and yet that's what Jesus did. He didn't have the right spouse, let alone a spouse at all. And did you know back in the Hebrew culture, back in that time, that there was an expectation that every man would be married? You couldn't even find a word for bachelor in the Hebrew language in biblical times. And Jesus was not married. Can you imagine the pressure that he was feeling from his culture? To get busy. Get busy, Jesus. Date somebody, anybody. Date. (laughs) Some of y'all have felt that pressure. You don't even want to go home because your mother goes, well, honey, who you dating? What's her name? Is she cute? You don't even want them to know. Mom, I'm holding out. I'm trying to do it the Lord's way. Amen. So God was pleased with Jesus because Jesus had submitted himself to the Father and was faithful to do the will of the Father. you got to know that every fiber, fiber of Jesus was centered on serving God. That's how he planned his day. That's how he planned his life. He made a decision to avoid the pressures of the culture. He made a decision not to let himself get so busy that he couldn't hear the voice of God. Are we too busy? Are we failing to hear the voice of God? Are we failing to do the will of God? Go with me to Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. The other um, item I mentioned, I told you that it was chasing success, and the other one was chasing possessions. So let's look at that in in light of what the subject is. Mark chapter 8, 34 through 37 says, When he called the people to himself with his, his disciples also, he said to them, 
Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36 reads, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What will it profit you if you gain everything you think you want? How will it add to your life? How will it change your relationships? How will it make you a greater force in the kingdom of God? How will it draw you closer to God, to that intimate, sweet, secret place that he calls us to? What will it do for you if you gain everything? And yet, most of us are on a quest day in and day out to get something. Think about it. What are you trying to get right now? Is it the new house, the new job, those new pair of shoes, that person you want to date? those earrings that you saw, tickets to a concert? What is it that you're chasing? Even right now, some of you have stepped away from the service thinking about the things that you want. What will it profit you if you get it? Is your self-worth caught up in the things? You see, we define ourselves so often by the car we drive, the house or neighborhood that we live in, what our children are doing. Yes, we are living vicariously through our children. What clothes we wear, what we look like. Because some people will not walk out of the house without makeup on or a cap on your head if you bald-headed. <laughs> a bad hair day is a real thing for a lot of women because our self-worth is caught up in that. But our self-worth should be in who? Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. We are made in his image and likeness. We have the mind of Christ, and we put all of that aside when we look in the mirror, and what's reflecting back isn't what we want it to. And here you go. Why isn't it what we want it to be? Because we looked at somebody else. We peeped over somebody else's fence, and we deduced that they looked better, that they were smarter, that they were brighter, that they were greater, that they were more successful, that they had more than us, so they were better than us. And if I'm going to be better, if I'm going to be smarter, if I'm going to be greater, I got to look like them. We go to the gym, and we print pictures of other people's bodies that we want our bodies to look like. Don't say you don't do it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Again, trying to possess something for our own self-worth and our own identity when we already have possession of the greatest thing ever, and that's the living, breathing God who has never left us or forsaken us. And in him, we have our identity. And yet we're searching. We're constantly searching. We do all of this, folks, because we don't like who we are. It's uncomfortable to take that hard look in the mirror and get real, real about who you are. And when you can embrace yourself, good, bad, and ugly, I'm going to tell you, I take me every ounce of me head to toe, the parts I like, the parts I don't like. I'm 55 years old. I don't have time to worry about people telling me that I'm not cute or I'm not pretty or I'm not smart or I'm not good enough. I don't have time for it anymore. 
I miss my purpose. I miss my calling. And most importantly, I lose my peace. And I'm not giving up my peace. I'm not giving up my peace for nobody. It's mine. The price was paid so that I can have it. It was a dear price that was paid so that I can walk in peace. Why would I just lay it down and let the enemy trample over it? I'm not going to do it, and neither should you. Take the hard look, but take it with Christ. There's nothing that you can't do, and there's nothing that catches him by surprise. I'm always amazed at why we don't tell him things like he doesn't already know. He already knows. Amen? Where was I? Did I say, did I ever read a scripture? Did I read it? (laughs) Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay. I want to point this out. I'm sorry. The average American has five social media accounts. Oh, I'm going somewhere now, aren't I? And they spend approximately 4.7 hours a day on their devices, of which two hours a day is on social media. When we look at consumer spending online as a whole, the numbers are impressive. Strap in. Here we go. According to industry leader Comscore Inc., in the first quarter of 2013 alone, consumers in the United States spent over $50 billion dollars online. That's a billion with a B. And that doesn't even include autos, auctions, or large corporate purchases. The 50 billion plus figure marks a 13% year over year increase. And it is the 10th consecutive quarter of double digit growth. This is 2013. Has the economy gotten better? So you can imagine what the numbers are now, right? All right. Just Where are consumers getting their information to make these online purchasing decisions? Through their friends and connections on social media, which is the culture. And I want you to know that those sites are influenced by savvy social media marketing campaigns. More than 81% of consumers say that the posts from their social media connections influence their purchasing decisions, and 30% will respond better to an online brand offer when that offer is reposted by a friend. You have to ask yourself, how influenced are you by your social media? Are you spending, spending, spending? And borrowing, 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 the statistics say yes. But God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What things? The desires of your heart. What desires? The ones that line up with the will of God. It's time for us to pull away from the culture and recognize that we serve a God who's bigger, who's better, who's greater, who's able to do exceeding abundantly all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. He did not leave us alone. He did not leave us unequipped. We are able to pull away from this culture and live according to the will of God. Will it be uncomfortable? Yes. But your greatest growth is always on the other side of your discomfort. So I encourage you to go through. I encourage you to check your motives. Find 
out why you do what you do. Don't have time to read it, but go to Proverbs chapter 16, 2 through 3 on your own time. We think our ways are always the right ways. God has another word for that. Take inventory of your life. How much of your life is lining up with the culture and how much of your life is lining up with Christ? Are you too busy? Is it time for you to slow down? And then lastly, submit or surrender your life to God. You can find that in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. And I encourage you to read those scriptures on your own. There is a shared door that each and every one of us has that's between us and God. And we can open that door as wide as we want, and we can walk in the fullness of everything that God has for us, intimately and personally, where we know him like we know our own voices. We can have that. Or we can have degrees of God, depending upon how we close that door. And some of us have closed it so much that all we're getting is the light that seeps from under the door and through the cracks. And so we're walking in anxiety, and we're disturbed, and we're depressed. We're lonely, and we have people all around us. Because there is only one who can fulfill that empty space, and that's God. So I'm encouraging, open the door wide, let him in. I'm not telling you to come out of culture. We're in this world, you're going to be in it. But judge your culture against Christ. And if it cannot stand up against Christ, then maybe it's time for you to move away from it. Are you too busy? Slow it down. Allow the God of your soul to minister to you to live through you, to order your steps, to identify your self-worth, to show you that you're already whole, healed, complete, and entire. The culture can't do that for you. Remaining busy will never do that for you. Surrender and let go to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Glory to God. 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 You know, there are people who are, are, are listening to this message who may not know Jesus, may not have taken the time.